Hello trainers and welcome to the Play Pokemon podcast, your official Pokemon organized play podcast. Our show is going to be covering the finals of the Players' Cup, an online tournament series happening this summer in Pokemon Tournament DX, the Pokemon trading card game online, and VGC battles in Pokemon Sword and Shield. My name is Jay Blake and I'll be your host and resident Pokemaniac for the next few weeks, although I do wish I could change my trainer class to something like Swimmer or Skier. It is unbelievably hot here in London, but Enough complaining, I swear I'll keep a lid on it from the rest of the show onwards. Speaking of, what's on this show this week? For VGC, we've got some player previews going into the final stages of the competition. For the train car game, we're talking rotation and some new cards coming out in Darkness Ablaze. And lastly, but by no means leastly, Pokémon Tournament DX, we have crowned our first ever Players' Cup champion, and I cannot wait to get into the action. But it won't just be me. There will be some excellent ace trainers to take us through. And the first one I'd love to introduce to you, representing VGC, it's Scott Glaser. How's it going, dude? It's going great. I can't wait to talk about this exciting video game tournament that we have uh, to look forward to here with my favorite junior trainer. <laughs> excellent. I'm very, very happy to hear that. We've got so many great trainers to introduce to people at home. I think this final stages of the VGC tournament is going to be absolutely amazing. But for TCG, we also have a wonderful ace trainer in the form of Mia Violet. How's it going, Mia? Hey, I'm Mia. Uh, super excited to talk about Darkness Ablaze and all of the changes with rotation coming up later this month. Yes, some very edgy cards coming in, but also very powerful and very cool. I like the I like the theme a lot, but we'll we'll get a little bit more into that as we go. And lastly, in the Pokémon Tournament DX hot seat, we have. Brendan Hansen. How's it going, dude? Hey, Jay. It's going so well. I've uh, seen the Deity Light and the Shadow Cat. Uh, excited to talk about Shadow Cat uh, sheer perfection in the Player's Cup. The pun game is unbelievable at this point. We're going to have to up the ante when we get through to the very end of the show. But obviously, we are moments away from talking about VGC. Actually, let's just do it now. VGC. So it's finally come down to this. For the VGC portion of the contest, on August 22nd and 23rd, trainers at home will be able to watch the finals and see which of these 16 players are going to become the first ever Players' Cup champion. Scott, we've got some league cards and info for players at home and trainers at home who are interested in the Players' Cup. How about we run through some awesome players? You're never going to see a better group than this. It's going to be really fun. All right. So we've kind of breaking them up into more established players and then we're going to spend a little bit longer on some players that you may not have seen on stream before or have only really had certain showings in their own local region zone. So let's go with the established players first and two players coming out from Italy in this group that we would want to bring your attention to are Alessio Yuri Boschetto, the winner of the Invitational Tournament and Nico Davide Cognetta, also known as Dave. And both of these players are phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to make a list of the you know, the greatest players of all time in our game, uh, you know, nobody's going to question the inclusion of those two guys, right? Uh, I, I think you know, some of the fun of promoting this tournament is right, is we, we ham people up a little bit, but I think these guys can't be exaggerated. Uh, like, they've mm. been, yeah, almost perfect the past couple of years. I mean, world's caliber players for sure. Both of them have attended the World Championships, but... Uh, they have the, most of their uh, renown from the international stages. Dave was able to come second at two international championships, the European International Championships and the Oceania International Championships, both in the early part, the 2016-2017 part of the season. And then Alessio, a 
champion in his own right for the Oceania International Championships in 2018, as well as a slew of other massive results, top four NAIC in 2018, and a first place at the Bolzano Special Event. And these players, Scott, you and I have been talking about this as well. Yuri's team from the, the Invitational is different to the way that we imagined Yuri as a player when going into a long-form tournament. So it would be interesting to see if he uses a team that is a lot more multi-purpose, isn't hyper-offensive, focuses on the synergy between certain Pokemon, key Pokemon, like Dave's team that he used to qualify. Dave's team was something like Togekiss, Amoongus, Dragapult, Excadrill, Tyranitar, and Incineroar. And the combination of those six Pokemon are something that we've seen a lot going into this portion of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's kind of the quintessential uh, defensive version of uh, the kind of the meta team where... I mean, it's most of the Pokemon that qualified the most times for this stage of a tournament as team. Probably going to see a lot more of those sort of Pokemon. You know, a long tournament like this where you can only afford to lose one set. Players are going to opt to play a little bit defensively. Uh, Yuri kind of has an advantage coming in as the Players' Cup uh, Invitational Qualifier where he played a different metagame. And I feel like a lot of players will probably pick similar teams going from Stage 1 to Stage 2. You know, they do get, or I guess, Stage 2 or 1 to Stage 3 in his case, 2 to 3 or for everyone else. They do get the opportunity to change teams if they'd like to here. I think that a lot of other players are likely to go with comfort. So uh, maybe, you know, if you're a different player in the field, you can anticipate what other people are going to use some. Uh, so Jerry played a different format, you know, before we get most of the stuff from uh, mm. the Isle of Armor. Uh, the team he used is kind of useless information to people where we know he's going to change it up some. Uh, I, I can't imagine him picking anything as aggressive as the Bisharp Cinderace thing uh, for the final stage of his tournament. But, you know, it, it's kind of a wild card for him, right? Since he he hasn't really had to show anything in this format yet. Yeah, exciting to see what these trainers will bring. Our next two trainers that we want to talk about are both from North America. Both of them ran similar teams um, to Dave, actually the same six Pokemon, but slightly different variations on how they wanted to use it in the online regional qualifier. Those are Joseph Agate, also known as Joe, and Conan Thompson. So both of these trainers have had really strong results. Joe at the regional level, but obviously a world's caliber level player, someone who's pushing to prove themselves in the higher reaches of the tournament structure. And Conan, uh, a player who's been well known to be able to make big runs at regionals and also in the senior division had some very, very, very strong performances going into the upper echelons of the tournament bracket as well. And we mentioned, obviously, for, for Dave and his team that the six Pokemon that they brought are very flexible. They have a lot of good opportunities to be able to come in and synergize well with each other in multiple different combinations. And we saw Joe on stream using a more aggressive variant of this. Uh, he had a Dragon Dance dra Dragapult alongside a Swords Dance Excadrill and the boosting potential for those two Pokemon alongside just the natural goodness, goodness is a word, we'll take goodness, of the rest of the team just allowed him to put a lot of pressure. And he had an incredible tournament run. He went up against some of the best in North America. He went up against Jeremy Rodriguez, Jeremy Odena, Jisok Lee, who also uh, went on to uh, an amazing performance. We'll hear about him later, spoilers. But again, Jonathan Evans in round 12, a, a finalist from the World Championships in 2016. He's really, really had to go through the ringer to be able to make it into this part of the tournament. Yeah, you know what I always say, Jay? I thank goodness for stat boosts. Um, no, I mean, I, yeah. I was really impressed by Joe's run. You know, I think he's a player, but you know, uh, he, he's kind of expressed really wanting to be part of that group of trainers we always talk about, right? I mean, mm. and the way you make it up to that upper echelon is you, you win, right? You uh, you qualify, mm. you prove you deserve to be there. And uh, I, I mean, he got it done, right? I think he had uh, probably the single most impressive run 
uh, him or Santino and the North America qualifier. So, you know, at some point, you know, you uh, you prove that you 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 are part of that conversation. I'll be really interested to see how he does. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone in the field who's hungrier than he is. And uh, that can be a good or a bad thing. But uh, so far, he's mm-hmm. playing pretty well with, I think, probably a lot of pressure he's putting on himself. For sure. I think another player who is hungry uh, to prove themselves and has been really on the up and up a lot of the last few years is Gabriel Gacci. And he's a player from Brazil representing Latin America in this format. And he has had such good performances recently. Top four at the LAIC in 2017, top eight at Oceania International Championships in 2018, top 16 at the World Championships in 2019. He's performed incredibly well. And I know that he is a player that a lot of people should have their eyes on. Yeah, I mean, I think he's uh, you know kind of one of the best players from his region. I'm an often underrated region, as you know, North America and Europe sometimes just focus on each other. Kind of, I forget about Latin America there, and uh, it seems to be an annual mistake. Uh, I do think mm. on his team, he's got a couple interesting elements too, where he's got the the firewater gra- grass core, but it's it's a throwback and it isn't. Um, you know, Incineroar, famously the fire part of that core. If you're playing defensively, the past several years, and then uh, also with Ferrovorm and uh, Rotom Wash. I think they're both kind of interesting because they're, you know, they're quintessential like defensive Pokemon of days gone by. Uh, they both play mm. a little bit differently now. You know, Rotom not quite as bulky as it used to be. So uh, typically plays a little bit more offensively than it did before, just kind of out of necessity with you know, all these powerful Dynamax attacks flying around. And then uh, Ferrothor is a little bit different too now because of uh, Body Press being available, where mm. um, I think the, the issue with it in the past has kind of always been the people use it at the beginning of the GS Cup formats and then uh, realize it doesn't actually do anything and swap it out <laughs> for something that... It uh, has a little bit more presence, but at least now it can finally use that beefy defense stat to attack. Um, of course, there's no uh, same type of attack bonus on body press, but at least there's something, right? So rude, Scott. Absolutely awful statement, but very true, actually. But yeah, Thorothorn and cohorts, the, the, the more bulky Pokemon that allow you for more defensive options, is something that is a trend moving through these players specifically, and also into our next player, which is Christopher Kahn, the North American international champion from 2017 really really incredible player he's also placed very highly at his home region events so regionals in sydney special events in auckland winning both of those as well and his team it's togekiss rillaboom arcanine primarina cinderace and incineroar and we've seen a lot of combinations of those pokemon being used in the players cup it shows that there's just a lot of flexibility to the bulk that they bring the defense the special defense the hp stats but also power. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got a, a fun mix of strategies there where um, I think when we were watching him, you know, win the international championships, he had a lot of setup moves and he does have setup moves again, but in a very uh, non-traditional way with the oh, yeah. uh, the Primarina and its calm mind here. Uh, not the sort of thing we normally see with Primarina, typically just kind of that Pokemon you send out there, try to get off a few powerful attacks while you, uh, you know, inevitably wait for it to be quickly KO'd. Uh, he's trying to help it stay out in the field a little bit longer there. Not only does you know, the Primarina have Calm Mind, but also has all these other Pokemon to help ensure it can actually use that move safely and boost its stats. Um, you know, both Incineroar and Rillaboom popping, or packing Fake Out, so uh, some direct support there. Uh, Togekiss, seemingly on all of these sort of setup-oriented teams because of the mix of Follow Me and being able to actually dish out some pretty good damage this generation. Um, and then Cinderace is sort of a fun mix there too, where uh, none does it also play well with all these support Pokemon in his team, but uh, also kind of just puts the opponent in a tough situation where it's like, well, you know, do I focus on in si- in, on uh, Cinderace and make sure that that doesn't beat me, or do I play around Primarina instead? I, I think that all the best teams qualifying for this stage of a tournament kind mm. of create those sort of problems on team previews, since your opponent does know all six of your Pokemon, and his team is uh, 
Uh, perhaps the most fascinating instance of this. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned the firewall to grass core has been a, a theme going through most of the teams that we've talked about so far. And that's something that David Kotesh has kind of flipped on his head. Instead of the firewall to grass core, he has the fire, fire, fire core. Uh, and I think that's um, different, let's say, <laughs> but the team is destructive. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have to remember, you know, the tight chart's only a suggestion. Uh, you know, if you do <laughs> enough damage, uh, it doesn't matter how you got that knockout, right? Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are actually a little surprised that uh, David was the only Sun team to make it to this stage in the tournament. You know, it's considered to be one of the stronger archetypes, something that I think players are going to be very concerned about moving forward. It's fascinating to me, kind of in two directions, that David was the player who did it. Um, I think early in this format, he was one of the most interesting team builders. I think uh, a lot of people, probably if they're looking for something a little bit metagame forward, they might have uh, tried out one of his QR rental teams in, you know, November, December. So uh, I'm really happy to see he qualified. I think that mm. if you think of the players that kind of like deserve the chance at this big stage, he did a lot to uh, kind of help push things forward earlier in the season. He's very all in on this, fire, the whole fire thing, right? A lot of fire, a lot of fire type Pokemon. Uh, also yeah. have Venusaur there to play off of the sun thing. Uh, we'll be interesting to see if he goes to something similar in the next stage of a tournament or not. But I think everybody's got to be a little bit afraid of sun. Bringing that sun core with Torkoal, boosting up the power of fire type damage for Charizard, also for Incineroar and Venusaur, as you mentioned, making uh, good use of the chlorophyll ability and its new options to be able to annoy people with sleep powder and stuff like that. But as you mentioned, David, a very accomplished team builder, a very accomplished player who's probably hungry to put some higher level results on the on the table. He hasn't had significant results outside of the top 32 at the world championships, but he wants to be able to make a claim to win something. And I think this is a tournament that he's going to be very much eyeing to be able to make sure that he has a stake in that claim. Now, Scott, we wanted to talk about some of the, the players that people haven't seen on stream before um, or might have only seen the names of from their own regions. And we mentioned this player earlier for the North American bracket, and that's Santino Tarquinio. And this team that Santino brought is phenomenal. Yeah, I'm so excited to watch his games. Um, I think in general, he's just a very uh, methodical, level-headed player. So uh, he could probably play any team and I, I would have a lot of fun in the audience. But I do think the team he brought to uh, the qualifying stage of this tournament is really interesting and something that I hope other players are prepared for because I think otherwise they could have a really tough time for this. Um, mm -hmm. you know, he's got a very heavily colossal themed team. You know, he's the colossal with the steam engine ability and a weakness policy. So it becomes very fast, very destructive if it's hit with a super effective attack. And then two different ways to activate it. I think uh, the traditional way of doing that is having a speedy dragapult use surf. Um, you know, do a little bit of damage to the opponents, break any focus sashes while also activating the weakness policy on Colossal. Mm. Um, but also, he's got the water type Urshifu next to it, too. Uh, so it can use Aqua Jet and activate the weakness policy that way. Um, also, just kind of a Pokemon people aren't used to dealing with yet, right? Um, yeah. Gives them some more interesting options. You, know, you try to stall out uh, Colossal's Gigantamax. Uh, maybe you get surprised with you know, Urshifu bonking you through your protects. <laughs> A lot of really fun things there. And I just love the construction of a team. Uh, so often mm. when we see this sort of strategy, it's like, all right, you got Colossal, one Pokemon to support it, maybe some support Pokemon on the team, and then like an entirely different strategy just to uh, tell your opponent, like, all right, well, you got to prepare for two different things. So let's, you know, let's flip coins, see if we can uh, guess turn one correctly. This is a kind of a more mature approach to that to me, right? Where he's committed, mm. like this is a Colossal team. I'm not going to back away from that. So I've um, got a bunch of different ways to do it. Maybe I won't lead anything related to Colossal. I'll have it in the back, set it up later. But uh, you kind of know it's coming, right? So can you yeah. stop this? And can you anticipate when it's coming out well enough that you know he can't pin you? And so far in the tournament, uh, the answer is no. Opponents have not been able to stop it. <laughs> Undefeated going through the online regional qualifier. And that's saying something. It's a big statement going into a final part of the tournament as well. Another player from North America, 
who representing North America, who went undefeated in their run in the online regional qualifier is Jisok Lee and had some really strong performances in the Korean League, placing third in 2017 and top 16 in Korean Nationals in 2017 as well. And the team that Jisok was using is something different. It's a more offensively minded team. It focuses around damage output from key partners like Porygon Z and Charizard and supported by a tiny, tiny linchpin in Clefairy, but a very efficient Pokemon, friend guard boosting your defenses and access to moves like Helping Hand to be able to boost your damage output, especially when you have a Dynamax Pokemon next to you. Very, very difficult to deal with. Yeah, I mean, kind of a weird way. I think he's a great representative of the uh, North America qualifier. There's actually a lot of Clefairy there. Uh, really troublesome Pokemon for a lot of teams to deal with. So I'm mm. glad that at least one was able to make it through. Um, I also think it's exciting to see him move through. Um, you know, we just saw an online uh, Korean tournament pretty recently uh, where you know we saw some teams uh, somewhat similar to this one. So it's sort of interesting that even though mm. uh, Korea isn't able to participate in this event, we, we get to see some uh, you know, some of the metagame flair from all, all across the world showing up in this event, uh, even though both this team and David's have Charizard on them. You know, they're very different teams where this is emphatically not a Sun team, but uh, so there's a lot of different fun offensive angles. And I think like the Sun strategy, you know, Porygon Z is just something that all the trainers kind of knew they had to be afraid of, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. even though only that one made it through the top 16, now everybody's kind of got to be scared a little bit when they're picking what team they use in this round. So I uh, you know maybe even if he doesn't use this team again, I'll get a little bit of advantage from... Uh, spooking everyone else in the field a little bit. Yeah, and if he does lose his team again, we know that he's got a fan for life in Lou. She loves Porygon Z. Moving on to one of our next players, and that's going to be Eduardo Junipero Ferraris from Italy, a player who hasn't had such strong performances in offline events, um, was able to get top 16 at the Bozzano special event back in 2019, but a really, really interesting team. I really love watching him on stream, just purely from the fact that he went for a very bulky, very stally strategy uh, using Lapras, G-Max Lapras, and its Aurora Veil setting, G-Max Resonance, able to extend that with Light Clay and having disgustingly bulky Pokemon to go up with it and access to Life Dew once he's finished with his Gigantamax to be able to consistently support the Pokemon alongside it as well. And I think it's a very different approach to some of the teams that people might be familiar with from a couple of series ago. The GMS Lapras has definitely been something you know, I think everybody was concerned about for a while there. It was like emphatically one of the best Pokemon in the format, but uh, we didn't see a whole lot of teams like this, right? Where mm. uh, it seems like every Pokemon on the team was taught whatever reasonable support moves it could. And, you know, let's just see how long we can make this game last. Uh, I think it's fun. It's a very different strategy than what most other players were doing. And I think mm. it's really impressive that he pulled it off in uh, an open team sheet tournament also, right? Because to me, if I was looking at this team at a normal tournament, one of the things that would have stood out was that like, oh, you know, uh, it's pretty tricky, right? It's not what I would have expected these Pokemon to do. You know, maybe I'd have make some mistakes playing into this, expecting them to do different things. But, you know, the, the opponent knows what moves the Pokemon have, right? It's right there on the piece of paper. Fun that despite that knowledge, he was able to play it so expertly to qualify for this part of the event. Fantastic team. Really interested to see what's going to happen with Eduardo moving forward. Our next player that we'd like to talk about from Spain, Antonio Sanchez-Savan. This is his highest placing in an official event. The team that he brought is so interesting. Let's run down the Pokemon. Corviknight, Rillaboom, Dracozolt, Grimmsnarl, Arcanine, and I don't think I don't think Antonio got the message that Rillaboom is the most powerful Pokemon in the format because he also brought Gastrodon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, question marks about this team. Uh, like, uh, other than Rillaboom and Arcanine, he was the only player who qualified using the other four Pokemon on his team. So uh, for those mm. of you out there hoping for something a little bit different, you can't do too much better than this. Uh, I got to mm. say, I was hugely impressed by him. Uh, he played on stream in the second week of the region qualifiers. And, you know, I kind of saw his team in team preview. And I'm just thinking, you're like, oh, great, you know. 
wow, easy 2-0. Why is this guy in stream? Uh, but he actually, I think, played the best stream match of anybody in the qualifying stage. Um, if anyone, you're thinking back, you remember that awesome uh, self will o wisp play to yes. uh, protect Gastron from the status effect. Uh, that was him. Maybe don't uh, take this guy too easy. I think however he does in this tournament, he's proven that he is a fantastic player. I've never been so happy to be wrong about a match I was about to watch. Fantastic team, really defensively minded and able to really hone in on the win condition that you want to have. And I'm interested to see if it comes out again in the next stage of the tournament. I think some of the Pokemon that, um, that Antonio chose to use are fantastic still even going into the next stage of the finals. We'll have to wait and see. Next up from El Salvador, Giovanni Polanco, and a finalist for the El Salvador special event back in 2019, competed at the DC Open in 2019 as well. So there obviously has played against some of the best players in the world there, but this is a real chance for Giovanni to be able to show what he's worth. And boy, oh boy, did he bring a team to do that. Uh, Torkoal, Hatterene, Drapion, Porygon2, Rapid Strike Urshifu, and Lilligant, Scott, this is the team. Yeah, you know, I was kind of like looking at the team list. Like, excuse me, I believe there's a typo in this list. Um, <laughs> the third six. slot of his team is just some random. Oh my God, Drapion's a Pokemon. <laughs> that's a yeah. that's a thing that people are allowed to use. <laughs> uh, I think this is actually, uh, I think of all of these single Pokemon uses I've ever seen. Uh, this one is the single most surprising to me. You know, it makes sense, right? You know, it's, uh, it's a, it could dish out a ton of poison type damage with, uh, you know, scope lens and sniper. Uh, which makes, you know, we've mentioned Togekiss repeatedly already, you know, it's seemingly uh, that easy support option every team. Not used to having to deal with poison-type attacks as powerful as what Drapion can push out. Uh, incredibly mm. bold move to choose to include that on his team, but it paid off for him. Uh, and think he'll always be remembered as the guy who qualified for the final stage of the Players' Cup with Drapion, kind of no matter what he does from here. We make light of the team. Obviously, it's exceptional build, and um, you are able to see how fantastic it was for, for him to be able to qualify with it because he went undefeated, Scott. Incredible stuff. You know, it, it's so, it'd be so easy to not take him seriously, right? You see this team's like, what is this guy doing? But um, what a run. Uh, I, I'm Insane. super impressed. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's everybody's dream, right? Where, you know, he has this super innovative team and then he crushes everybody with it. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Well done, Giovanni. Moving on to Brazilian player again, Caio Romanini, uh, who managed to get top eight at the Latin American International Championships back in 2018. A more standard approach to the metagame that we saw um, from some of the other players that we mentioned in the established part of this discussion. Pokemon like Primarina, Arcanine, Dragapult, Porygon2, Ferrothorn, and Incineroar. I'm really interested to see what Caio is able to do moving forward in this tournament. This is the chance, obviously, to be able to show against the best players in the world. And we have, boy, do we have some of them here uh, that you are up to the stuff. I mean, and what a world we're living in where, yeah, oh, there's this, the team with two first partner Pokemon. Yeah, they're very, very standard. Exactly what we're expecting. Great choice from Kyle. It'd be interesting to see if he wants to stick with something a bit more comfortable going into the second part of this qualifier or if he wants to mix things up, as we've mentioned before. Let's move on. Um, representing Argentina, Julian Eduardo Martinez, a player who managed to achieve top four at a special event in Uruguay in 2018. And he had a, a team that consisted of Lapras, Rillaboom, Talonflame, Dracovish, Urshifu, Single Strike, and Incineroar. So that Talonflame sticks out to me because it does seem to kind of function the same way that Whimsicott did in earlier parts of the tournament, or earlier parts of the series as well, where 
It allows for a very quick tailwind, but a little bit more offensive pressure coming out from it as well to partner with Lapras or the Dracovish. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd realized how long it had been since last time I thought about Whimsicott. Uh, maybe we should send out a search party or something. But <laughs> no. uh, I, I do really like this this setup. There are some fans who are very happy to be, you know, thanking Mr. Fish for making his top six, 16 appearance. But yes. I think Talonflame's a really cool Pokemon to enable both Dracovish and Urshifu, where I think they both use Talonflame, prop, or Talonflame, uh, Tailwind, uh, probably <laughs> better than any other Pokemon where, um, you know, they're naturally very much in need of that speed boost. But, you know, uh, Dracovish is, you know, single da damage target output, you know, best in game, especially when he's going first. You know, you almost need Tailwind to back that up. And then uh, Urshifu is actually pretty interesting next to it. Uh, you know, Talonflame, if it can do what it does best and get knocked out so that you can get both those two Pokemon out on the field at once, um, it mm. creates this really interesting pin, right? Where, you know, Dracovish is going to torture you, so you've got to protect. And then uh, Urshifu is just going to laugh at you and knock you out through the protect anyway. Uh, it's a really cool little combination of three Pokemon there. Uh, considering I don't think any of those three were really you know, top of the threat list for most people. Uh, I really like it. So cool. So cool. A very hyper offensive minded in terms of that, but also balancing that out with some very uh, bulky defensive threats to go with it as well. Lapras obviously providing key options to be able to support your team. Cool team. Let's see what happens going into the finals part of it. We've only got two players left, both of them representing Oceania now. And first up is Alistair Sandover, uh, who placed first at the Perth Regionals back in 2016. Managed to get a top 16 at the North American International Championships in 2018. A player well known in his region has performed really well at special events throughout the Oceania racing zone. A team that is exactly the same as what Gabriel Agachi used to qualify. Togekiss, Rotom Wash, Dragapult, Porygon 2, Ferrothorn, and Incineroar. Players know what they do, know how to run them, and it's really about, I'm the better player here, and I can make sure that I've got everything that I need in front of me, and I will outplay you. Yeah, and I think that's some of what this is, right? I mean, uh, they've got to play a lot of really challenging sets in a very short amount of time, you know. Um, not only is this tournament nearly as long as, like, you know, a normal world championship is, but the quality of opponent is very high the whole way through, so... Um, you know, they're, they're not trying to do anything too tricky. They're playing Pokemon that are consistent, that have a lot of power, but uh, mm. they have a lot of options with. I think these teams made a lot of sense, both for the qualifying phase and then. I, I wouldn't be surprised if at least several of these players use similar teams for the final stage of a tournament. It would be fascinating to watch. And speaking of fascinating, lastly, representing Oceania again, then Madigan, who managed to get top 64 at the Oceania International Championships back in tw oh, 2020, this season. The team, Togekiss, Rillaboom, Porygon 2, uh, these are all fine. Cinderace, yeah, we know this one. Bishop, okay, okay, that's a combination we've seen before. Araquanid. This is a really cool team with a very interesting Trick Room option. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you know, he got that top 64 way back in 2020, uh, because it seems more <laughs> like he should have done it in more hey. like uh, 2017. Uh, you know, Araquanid, not a Pokemon we see a whole lot of anymore, uh, but I think it's actually a really interesting choice in this format. And by I actually, I mean, I'm, steal I'm stealing here the uh, the analysis of commentator Aaron Zhang uh, and what he wrote for Pokemon.com. Uh, but I, I hadn't really thought this one through, but it's interesting. You, you were kind of joking before, like, oh, you know, Gastrodon, does he know Rillaboom exists? Um, but Araquanid is a perfect example or a perfect answer when you do know that Rillaboom exists. Yes. Yeah, you know, one of the few powerful water type attackers, really the only one other than Dracovish, who is not weak to grass type attacks, right? So he can not only can it hang out in the field and actually get some damage done when Rillaboom's out there, but yeah, you know, does these those bug type attacks uh, super effective against grass type Pokemon? So it kind of turns that type matchup around. Definitely not something the you know eight million Rillaboom users in this tournament were probably expecting to have to deal with. So I really like it as a solution to the format. Really interesting, very powerful with its water bubble ability as well, and supported by a Pokemon like Bisharp. Uh, that alongside Cinderace, there's a lot of ways to protect your physical attackers from Intimidate and do crazy amounts of damage. We've gone through all of our top 
16 players in the VGC bracket going into finals for the Players' Cup. There can only be one who's going to make it all the way down to the championship. And Scott, it's been fantastic to talk to you about this. Obviously, we'll be able to watch and see what happens August 22nd on the official Pokemon Twitch channel. Thank you so much for joining me and we'll talk about TCG next. Mia, I've had some news from the top. Boss's orders, I'm afraid. We've got to do some shake-up. Rotation and Darkness Ablaze are all the talk of today. Okay, let's get into it. Mm, so let's start a little with rotation. And can you just explain for the people at home what rotation means for TCG players and how this will affect things going into the final part of the Players' Cup? So every year we rotate the standard format and we take out some of the older sets. This year we're going to be rotating so that every set legal will be team up and onward. This will come into effect on August 28th. Mm, so that's August 28th for players outside of the Players' Cup and in the actual Players' Cup as well. We'll be playing in a post-rotation format, including the new set Darkness Ablaze. Let's, let's save Darkness Ablaze for now. We'll keep that as a little taster, uh, get you going until the end of the podcast where we'll be talking about those cards specifically and new archetypes that will be introduced and some cool, interesting cards that you might want to make sure you have access to. But... I think we should also talk about what cards are going to be leaving us, unfortunately, due to rotation. So Mia, how about I run down some of the, the key cards that we've talked about before, and then maybe you can we can go back to the top and give some colour to some certain cards that we think are going to be very, very difficult to replace. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So starting with uh, Malamar from Forbidden Light and its Psychic Recharge ability Malamar, we also have Disso Prism Star, Victini Prism Star, Diancy Prism Star, Jirachi Prism Star, which is a card that a lot of people will not want to see go. As we've seen from the Players' Cup, Giratina has been quite popular in films of Dragapult VMAX decks, and the Distortion Door version of Giratina will be leaving the format. Oranguru and Resource Management as the attack will be leaving, that card will be leaving. Blacephalon GX, Zeraora GX, Buzzwall from Forbidden Light, and Nihiligo 2. So lots of cards that we've seen a fair amount of play either before the Players' Cup, but a lot of these cards have been quite pivotal in seeing certain decks go f the distance here in the Players' Cup. There's been so many great memories with so many of these cards. I think a lot of players are really going to miss Malamar and, as you said, Drachi Prism Star. Everyone loves that Zacian deck with the Drachi Prism Star. Yeah, it kind of really taken the combo out of the, the combo Zacian deck. Obviously, Blacephalon GX and Zeraora GX are cards that have very specific and very certain uses. Zero Aura GX is a really, really pivotal card for the Pikachu and Zekrom Tag Team GX decks. It allows it to have free retreat. Um, very, very important tools will be sitting on the bench, and that will be a viability question mark over that Pikarom deck going move, moving forward. And Blacephalon GX, that one energy take a prize GX attack is just incredible and uh, a real card that's going to be missed by certain players. Yes. Blacephalon GX used to be super popular, almost a tier one meta deck, and eventually fell by the wayside of its little companion, just regular Blacephalon. It's kind of found its way back into some decks here and there because of its GX attack, being able to just, as you said, take that one prize out of nowhere. It's really great against these VMAX and tag team decks that rely on you needing to take three prizes twice. Those are some of the Pokemon that will be leaving the format. Obviously, there are more cards, but we just wanted to give you a flavor of some of the key cards that you'll be seeing leaving. Speaking of other cards that we want to bring to you, we have some supporters. So Judge will be leaving the format. Volkner, Faber, Cynthia, and Lusamine 
are also cards that will be we're saying goodbye to in this rotation. Yes, Volkner found a home here and there on and off with the Picaram decks and other lightning type mm. decks. It would have found a home in some upcoming Darkness Ablaze, but unfortunately it's rotating out. Cynthia, great staple supporter. Shuffle mm. your hand into your deck, draw six. Always great to see. Fortunes can be difficult to say goodbye. And Lusamine, I'm not sure. Everyone's kind of torn on Lusamine. She's brought up mm. some difficult memories with some very difficult decks. An interesting card being able to get either Supporter or Stadium, any combo of the two, from your discard discard and put them into your hand. Hasn't been seen too much in the Players' Cup from what we've seen on stream and what we've seen from talking to certain players. But I know uh, a lot of players have used this card throughout the, the time that it's been around, so I'm sure it will be missed. This is putting a tear in my eye. There's so many different cards that we're leaving behind, but we've got to keep going. There are some other cards that we want to talk about in terms of items. Mysterious Treasure, Order Pad, Beast Ring, Electro Power, Spell Tag, Counter Gain, Fiery Flint, Escape Board, Acrobike, Metal Frying Pan, and Custom Catcher are all going out the window. Yes, Mysterious Treasure, again, linked to those Giratina decks, but also pretty good in some Dragapult VMAX decks we've seen. Electro Power, mm. probably the powerhouse of the Picaram deck. You could say it's the yes. Mitochondria. Then we have Fiery <laughs> Flint going away. So Little Blacephalon is probably going to take a little bit of a hit there. Skateboard, yes. everyone loves the skateboard, especially when paired with Jirachi from Team Up, who is not rotating, thankfully, but we won't see any more kickflips from them. And Metal Frying Pan, somewhat relevant because Darkness of Blaze brings some good fiery types to it, and Zacian may be missing that weakness immunity that the fiery, or sorry, the Metal Frying Pan provides. Yeah, some really key items rotating out there. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly still stuck on the mental image of Jirachi doing a kickflip, <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> um, stadium cards next, and uh, some really big ones, and I think you'll notice a theme of certain decks really being hit hard from what we've seen in the Players' Cup. Heat Factory is going, Ultra Space, Sky Pillar, Shrine of Punishment, and Thunder Mountain, Prism Star. Yes, unfortunately, Thunder Mountain, Prism Star is rotating away. We do keep Taco, Tapu Koko, Prism Star, but with Thunder Mountain going away, Picaram yet again takes yet another hit. And also, I think Blacephalon looking like it's been taking a few damaging blows here in terms of the stadium options as well. Ultra Space leaving, Heat Factory leaving. There's a lot of different key stadiums going out this rotation. Lastly, for energy, uh, we have um, obviously the basic energy remains, but special energies leaving the format are all unit energy, rainbow energy, beast energy, and super boost energy. Yes, beast energy. All the Ultra Beasts are kind of rotating away, so it won't be missed too much. But Rainbow Energy, it's probably going to be the most missed special energy that's rotating. Spiritomb has used it a ton. It helps mm. you build damage counters. It provides all types of energy. And it's just been a ubiquitous card throughout the years for so many decks. So it's going to be very weird playing without Rainbow Energy. Though we do have Aurora Energy from the Sword and Shield base set. Slightly different usage, and obviously uh, I think there will be an anguish cry coming out from Spiritomb just at the sight of Rainbow Energy leaving the format. But what we say here is thank you for the memories. Let's move on to some incredible new options. And obviously we talked about some of the decks that have been hit the hardest here. Pikachu and Zekrom, Tag Team GX, Blacephalon, Dragapult, Spiritomb as well. But I think the next step that we're going to here, Darkness Ablaze, 
uh, does a little bit of benefit for Spiritomb in terms of a lot of darkness Pokemon support. Also does a, a whole lot of damage towards Dragapult's viability moving forward, considering where the main threats are lying. With all these great new darkness types, we're going to have Eternatus VMAX. Ooh, super excited to talk about that deck. It's one of the premier poster boys of the Darkness Ablaze set, and for good reason. It's a absolutely, it's a frankly massive VMAX, incredible HP stat, an amazing ability and attack combination going between the Eternal Zone ability, which allows you to, if your bench Pokemon are dark types, you can extend your bench out to eight Pokemon. Uh, as long as they are only dark type. If you are not using that condition anymore, you reduce your bench back down to five, you discard the rest of the Pokemon, but its attack Dread End does 30 times the number of Pokemon that you have on your bench who are dark type. Incredible, incredible options here. Yes, very strong card, very reminiscent of a different colored Sky Wiggler that we had back in the day, Mega Rayquaza EX, paired mm. with Shaman EX. I guess we now have a Crobat V coming in, that's very reminiscent of that, Shaman EX. Seems the yeah. Sky Wiggler is back. Bit of a time machine kind of moment here. I was playing TCG back during the Mega Rayquaza era, and a lot of these things feel very, very nostalgic for me. And I think it's a really exciting time to be able to see what players are favoring moving forward in the competition. But yeah, Eternatus VMAX, a card that you are going to have to look out for in the Players' Cup for sure. It's such a big centralizing force, and it also gets access to... A special energy support, hiding darkness energy, which gives it free retreat as well. So excellent, excellent options for darkness type Pokemon going into that. Another archetype that we might want to bring up here, uh, which is kind of on the, the anti-meta spectrum, let's say, is based around Decidueye. Decidueye from Darkness Ablaze set has the Deep Forest Camo ability, which renders it uh, immune to all damage from V, VMAX, and GX Pokemon. Then you have Splitting Arrow, which does 90 damage and snipes 20 to two different benched Pokemon. This is an okay attack in the current meta, but you're looking at this card because of its ability. Being able to mm. just be immune to V, VMAX Pokemon just can turn the tide. You can automatically win so many matchups because not many decks run alternative attackers these days. This card may force those decks to play alternative attackers, but only if Decidueye pilots can build their deck consistently and get the Decidueye out very reliably. Mm. We've seen from the Players' Cup online regional qualifiers that VMAX and GX Pokemon are so, so prevalent. Um, so there are lots of ways that Decidueye will be able to take advantage of the way that the metagame shifts. We imagine as if it stays in a similar place to where it is now, but Decidueye also has options as for consistency. There is a new stadium, Turfield Stadium, which allows for grass-type searching. Um, it will allow you to be able to find your Decidueye a little bit easier, or your Rowlets. It's an interesting deck that will definitely have a bit of tinkering and balancing required, not straight out of the box, easy to run like something Etern like Eternatus VMAX might be. Yes, it's going to be a very fun deck to build, and it's likely going to need some help along the way, probably from some other anti-meta cards or fun little tricks up its sleeve. Let's move on to one of my favorite VMAX Pokemon that are being introduced in this set, and that is going to be Center Scorch VMAX. Again, monstrous HP stat. And finally, a Fire-type attacker that doesn't need to discard energy when it does it. Instead, it actually kind of builds pressure, which I think is very cool. Yes, I mean, we haven't seen Fire-type in so long. It's been a couple seconds at least. So <laughs> really excited for Center Scorch VMAX, though. I like how it attaches Fire Energy. It accelerates, really kind of gets the ball going. 
Welder, mm -hmm. Volcanion, they both really help with getting you a ton of energy in play all at the same time. Uh, losing Heat Factory, a bit of a miss there, but you know, doesn't matter. You got a lot of other friends to help. Exactly. And it doesn't need to worry about getting rid of the energy that it applies to itself. Once it attacks with its G-Max Centerferno attack, which does 40 damage plus 40 for each fire energy attached to your Pokemon. Once you deal that damage, you attach another energy from your discard pile and then go again. So if your opponent can't knock it out and it's got such a large HP total, they might not be able to do that. You are applying pressure each turn with one big powerful attacker. I love that kind of thing, which is uh, Mia, not the case with our next archetype that we're looking at. Vikavolt V might be a little bit of a wrench into some of the usual strategies that you see in the trading card game. This card uh, bring back some pretty painful memories many players had of an older card, Seismitoad EX. Same kind of effect for two energy. You do a little bit of damage and you item lock your opponent, as we would say. This Vikavolt V does... Mm. Uh, for one lightning, one colorless, you do 50 damage with paralyzing bolts and you disable your opponent's ability to play any items. 50 damage is not too much. VMAX these days have, what, 300, 340 health. It's going to take so many hits to knock things out. With Electro Power going away, you can't just kind of sneak in a few of those big hits anymore. So you're in it for the long game here. So you're going to have to pair that with some pretty powerful support with Tapu Koko Prism Star, Turbo Patch to speed up your energy, perhaps even Toughness Cape to get the 50 bonus health. So you have, what, 260 effective health? It's going to mm. be really, really big. I think it's going to be one of the defining decks of the metagame. And I think we'll be really interested to see how people want to run it in the Players' Cup. And you just mentioned some, some cards there, some item cards, which could be very important for a lot of different decks. And maybe we should focus on them now. Let's talk about the, the Cape of Toughness. Um, not only is it a dashing accessory that you can add to your Pokemon, but it also gives basic Pokemon an extra 50 HP, but not to GXs. No, not to GXs. So you won't be finding this on those tag teams, thankfully. But oh, yeah. Vika Volt V, massive health pool when you have the Cape of Toughness attached and you just kind of chip away at your opponent and try to lock down what they can do. They can't play items, means they can't play that Turbo Patch very strong card that we're going to probably see going forward. Uh, this could shut down some decks entirely. Mm, I'm interested to see if people want to play it in something like Zacian V as well. Already a very powerful attacker with a very good ability. We've seen it a fair amount um, in terms of TCG play online. With that additional health, it's going to make it very difficult, make lives very difficult for players going up against it. One other card that you mentioned and one that uh, I am excited Question mark to talk about is Turbo Patch. Uh, I think it's a very interesting card. It allows you to flip a coin. And if you get a heads, you can attach a basic energy to a non-GX Pokemon from your discard pile. We've seen this effect before, but not with the flip and not with any energy at all. The Turbo Patch itself can attach energy from your discard to any of your Pokemon, which is special because you can also choose your active Pokemon. Many other patch cards in the past weren't able to do that. No, which is... a adds a lot of threat and a lot of pressure. Uh, it means that you can get off some of the lower cost attacks, maybe like Paralyzing Bolt from Vikavolt V or Dread End from Eternatus VMAX. These are well within reach on the second turn or the first turn that you're able to attack because of Turbo Patch. And I think it's a, a card that is going to be featuring in so many different types of deck mirror. Yes. All you have to do is be good and flip heads. And how difficult is that? 
I think that's a question that TCG players would really like the answer to. So if anyone knows, please let us know using the hashtag PlayPokemonPodcast. Obviously, we are still a little bit away from the Players' Cup play finals for TCG, and I'm so excited to see what's going to happen moving forward. Mia, again, thank you so much, and we're going to be moving on to Pokemon Tournament DX. Pokemon Tournament DX now with Brendan. We've crowned our first Players' Cup champion. I can't believe it. I'm stunned, Jay. This tournament, this whole summer, the whole Pokemon Players' Cup was just incredible. Uh, And it culminated in about as perfect of a grand finals and as perfect of a finals as we could have imagined or asked for. Uh, Mm. Shadowcat versus Jukum, that grand finals was just mm, so spectacular. Yeah, let's let's start there. We'll talk about each player individually after we talk about the the grand finals, because I think that is, as you mentioned, a really good focal point for talking about Pokemon Tournament DX right now and just an incredibly tense, I think is a good way to describe it, intense and also tense, cagey, close, everything about like those sets that they played just meant it could have gone either way. Like there were so many different little near misses that meant that Shadowcat or Dukum took advantage and I think it was just electrifying to watch. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. It was the closest grand finals without a bracket reset I think I've ever seen. If not, if mm. not the most, one of the top five for sure. Uh, Shadowcat or and Jukum just looked completely in line with each other. They both had periods in which they were really uh, setting the tempo in the match, and and I think really getting to the depth of mind games with each other. It's been a long summer of them getting to play each other, uh, just sort of different times that we've seen at, and at different events, and it, it's really shown they've they've scraped the bottom to sort of. A deeper part of the meta than I think we've seen in a really long time. As you mentioned, this this didn't obviously go to a bracket reset, but it felt like it could have done. That's the thing. Yes. Like it, it felt so so close, and both players were just really really focused on what they thought they needed to do, and were quite obstinate about sticking to their game plan. I think you and I discussed this a little bit, Brendan, but field phase for these games was just such a fascinating thing really analytical play styles from both of these trainers and obviously that's something that you know and love from Shadowcat but from Jukum pretty crazy you mentioned too the importance of specific game plans and I think that really came to the forefront in their field phases Jukum a player known for running Snivy Lapras no matter what uh, you never expect anything else from him he was running the Whimsicott and Mm. I mentioned it talking in the context of field phase because Jukum's game plan in that field phase was so clear the the consequences of losing a field phase the stakes in every field phase against Darkrai while playing a Sceptile are so high that Mm. Jukum wanted to do everything he could to not make a mistake be in a position to come out on top and he was playing these these hyper patient field phases where they'd sit in these sort of field phases jockeying for resources for 20 seconds 30 seconds 40 mm. seconds which is like 50 percent of the, of the match and it, it ended up putting such a high stakes on every single interaction it was really exciting the amount of things that were happening on screen right like it's not just the two characters positioning themselves away from the other or trying to make their way through to be able to get close quarters with each other more the fact that they were trying to distract each other. There were little things like Razor Leaf coming out from Sceptile where you'd leave it just in a position where it might not be caught by Darkrai or Shadowcat as he's moving. And then obviously those homing elements come in, the, the rifts and the forms that Darkrai was dropping and the angle at which he was positioning himself just to make sure that the very end would be able to clip Dukem as he was coming in the approach. Very, very interesting. And I love that you mentioned supports because I think the choice of Magikarp 
from Shadowcat was also inspired to be able to break up some of the pressure that Jukun was trying to apply. Magikarp is just such a phenomenal support for Darkrai, and Shadowcat has one, been one of the greatest proponents of that for a long time, uh, because whenever Darkrai gets hit, or any character who has Magikarp called, of course, uh, Magikarp come down, comes down, splashes, and resets the situation. So for Darkrai, a character who, once they've achieved uh, entering that Bad Dreams Rising mode off of Vortex, uh, it gives you a second chance, and I think it's another way in which Shadowcat can mitigate risk, and it, mm. it really played to his favor, and the slower, uh, more reserved game plan, style of gameplay approach from both of them, I think ended up playing to Shadowcat's benefit in some ways, because it just gave him time to charge that larger-than-average support timer of Magikarp. Fascinating game, and I feel like we could spend the entire podcast length talking about it but we also want to make sure that we are speaking to the fantastic players that were able to qualify and the performances that they show during the finals of the players cup and let's start from the lower part of the bracket now the players in seventh place that's going to be soul guitarist and antwerp and i think you and i discussed it brendan soul guitarist uh, unfortunate case of matchup roulette going into the very early rounds right you know sometimes the bracket just doesn't roll your way uh soul mm. guitarist ended up running into two amazing pikachu libre players from from the eu uh, so mm. having to play the same matchup twice if it's not one you're comfortable with can be really tough both those players sort of uh, approached it differently but fabulous i think having watched the regional qualifiers watched soul guitarist play there came in with a really specific game plan that was jumping in at mid-range and, and not giving soul guitarist any room to to execute on his game plan yeah exactly and then to go from that game and figure out okay well this is what they were doing against me and then to come up against a player like kira who lost the first round in what i must think would be a disappointing fashion for her and then be ready to and fired up to take the the game in the losers bracket i think the whiplash between those two different approaches of pikachu libre must have left soul guitarist spinning a little bit it's it's so tough uh coming in and pikachu libre is one of the most flexible characters in pokin she can be played in so many different styles uh, and ways and fabulous and kira really embody that so like you're saying to go from you, you sort of adapt and adjust to, to Fabulous as Pikachu Libre for three games. You start to get your footing by the end and then mm. drop right back in and have to play a totally different Pikachu Libre player in Kira, who's going to make different choices and different decisions and have to adapt all over again. That's tough when you're playing against two different characters, but when you're playing against two of the same characters back to back, it's just, it's just brutal. And I think Kira... Mm probably had a lot of confidence seeing Fabulous knocking Soul Guitarist down to the loser's bracket so so efficiently. Yeah, I think it's also, there's a lot of pressure in the loser's bracket, right? You've already taken yep. a loss. One more loss will see you out of the tournament. So everything is on the line here. And pressure and nerves do really build up for that kind of thing. Obviously disappointed they wouldn't be able to move too far in the finals, but the run that Soul Guitarist went on to be able to qualify is still absolutely phenomenal. Taking down TC, Roxo, Junior Jam, Incredible, incredible stuff in that North American bracket. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I think this is a great summer for Soul Guitarist, and I think it's not the... I hope and think it won't be the last that we see of his play. Really good stuff mm. for him. And Antwerp, obviously, uh, another player that we were excited to see make it through to the finals here, representing Oceania. Played some very, very solid Pokémon, but it was just difficult for, the again, the players that he came up against uh, and the comeback potential, as you put it, Brendan, of Lucario and Machamp just puts so much pressure when you're fighting out of a corner. It's tough. Sceptile and Antwerp's approach to Sceptile specifically is, is just all about, I'm going to play as solidly as possible. I'm not going to take any really big risks to try to close out the round, but I'm also not going to play too reserved. I'll just sort of play a really patient game plan. And I think in doing mm. so, gave, as you mentioned, Daddy Light, whose Lucario's burst is just incredible. 
Antwerp would play 60 seconds of perfect Pokken, then he'd be in a position where three wrong guesses just washed it all down the drain, and yeah. it's frustrating. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, this is the game that you play uh, when you come to a Pokken tournament, DX tournament. Unfortunately, you need to be able to convert in the positions that you are. And there was just, as we mentioned, a lot of difficult gameplay Antwerp had to navigate. And I think we saw that adaptations were made and was a, was a player that was able to adapt on the fly to different scenarios. But as we mentioned, Wingtide, just especially in the position where Link, Wingtide's in the loser's bracket in the first place, like that's a very tough game to go up against, especially when he wants to prove something. We, we talked a little bit last week, Jay, about how this was really the biggest stage Antwerp had ever been on. And mm. I think he did an amazing job playing his own game plan in the face of what would probably be a, a little bit of uneasiness, I'd imagine. Wingtide, one mm. of the best players from Europe of all time. Didi Light, sort of one of the original uh, best players from North America. So I, I think Antwerp, even though he had a uh, two really close games didn't it wasn't able to pull a win out but still showcase his talent at the game so well his technical proficiency was really strong his perfect blocking game again that that expert mm. level technique that's really difficult to do antwerp just made it look effortless and i i was really excited to see the opportunity for one of australia's finest to showcase his play and even though he didn't win any games any matches excuse me he mm. won a couple games he took out uh wingtide's mewtwo that surprise pick he still I think put a really good foot forward and Antwerp, another player I'm really excited to see more of in the future. Being able to make it to the finals in a tournament like this is already accomplishment enough. Obviously disappointing when you want to be pushing ahead and getting that first ever Players' Cup champion trophy, but unfortunately not to be for Antwerp. We'll move on then to the, the fifth level player and that is going to be Kira and Wingtide. Let's start with Kira. And this is a player that both of you and I are fans of. We, we love watching Kira play. Unfortunately, round one, we, it was not the Kira that we were expecting to see. Yeah, we were just talking about it with Antwerp, and I think nerves maybe got to Kira a little bit. She she went Pikachu against Shadowcat's Darkrai, mm. which shows me that she was thinking really carefully about how does she want to approach this matchup. Maybe she wasn't feeling confident with the Pikachu Libre in the face of Darkrai's pressure and, and in the face of Shadowcat's incredibly solid game plan. So she goes the Pikachu Libre. But then mm. I think there was a little bit of uh, maybe lack of confidence in that pick. Sometimes all it takes is 5% not knowing. And, and she didn't have that sort of instinctual aggression that we normally see from her. It felt like there was a lot of hanging back, which is not so much what Kira is known for. And also, when you go up against a player like Shadowcat, who thrives on having time and space to be able to operate, especially with Darkrai, yep. it just adds a lot more pressure to you. Absolutely. And, and Darkrai is so the one of the least forgiving characters uh, to play against. Making mm. mistakes against Darkrai is really difficult. And Kira's the sort of player, and, and I really like when players do this, will use her HP as a resource, right? She likes to take big risks so she can mm. get access to those bigger rewards. And the way Shadowcat plays Darkrai just sort of locks that game plan down. And I think that's probably a, a large part of the reason why we sort of saw that more, that more timid Kira who gave... Shadowcat this space and the game plan was in the right spot. It, it just, we didn't see the the passionate Kira that, that got her to these finals in the first place. Exactly. And as we mentioned, went on to win against Soul Guitarist and then came up against Jukum, who obviously we'll get to later. And it was already mentioned a little bit in the, the grand finals, but is on a, a very interesting development arc uh, and a very strong development arc. And I think the confidence boost from defeating Soul Guitarist launched Kira into a position where she was feeling her offensive footing again. But unfortunately, Jukum was also feeling his offensive footing and showed what 
a threat his Empoleon can be. Jukum's Empoleon just looks so fantastic this tournament. But to Kira's credit, uh, we, we actually got to see the Pikachu Libre Empoleon matchup twice this bracket. Uh, first from Kira and then later against Fabulous. And Kira's play against Jukum's Empoleon, I thought was fantastic. She, she stayed mm. aggressive. She understood that she couldn't allow herself to fall behind uh, and made some really good reads. She, she was able to op open Jukum up on offense really well and I think showed, laid a solid foundation uh, for that matchup in the future. So obviously she'll be disappointed and I think we know that she'll be a player to learn from this and come back even stronger. There are other opportunities for these players to be able to show their worth later down the line. Let's talk about Wingtide, another player who made it to the fifth position and probably the player who had the heaviest weight of expectation on them going into this tournament. Yeah, Sky High, I think really, and that's for himself and for a lot of, a lot of fans around the world, really mm. expecting Wingtide to be the one who would storm through this bracket and win. He looks so strong in the Invitational. He won the European International Championships last year, wasn't able to make it to Worlds. So there was just a lot for him, I think, building up to this moment. So much of the Invitational with Wingtide's play really came down to the person who challenged him best, Jukum. None mm. of us expected we'd get to see Jukum oh, yeah. Wingtide in round one. We all wanted to see it, but round one, Jay? Yeah, it's just and the inverse of what we saw in the online regional qualifiers as well. Jukum dictating the pace, controlling the game, and frustrating Wingtide. And yeah, I mean, going into that game, when you're Wingtide, you must be like, oh, I need to perform from the first minute, otherwise this is going to be a disaster. And unfortunately for him, he ended up in the loser's bracket, which just applies even more pressure from that position onwards. Wingtide, not a player who falls into the loser's bracket very often, did not do that during the Invitational. So being in an unfamiliar place can be tricky. We saw actually after he he lost to Jukum in that really um, amazing set, he, he was matched up against Antwerp and he went to the Mewtwo pick. Wingtide does have the Mewtwo, it doesn't come out very often. So really that's sort of an interesting maybe window into Wingtide's psychology, just feeling maybe a little bit frustrated with the uh, with the Machamp, feeling like uh, the reads weren't going his way, wanted to try something differently. Uh, the Mewtwo actually was met with great preparation from Antwerp, so then pivoted back to the Machamp and closed it out really strong, which I think gave Wingtide a bit more of his confidence back. And then he ended up going up against Fabi. Yes, and I think we can blend the match between Wingtide and Fabi and an introduction to how Fabi performed this tournament. And Fabi, we mentioned Kira and her Pikachu Libre play, and it's very fast and kinetic and aggressive. And Fabi's a lot more reserved and mindful of the way that he wants to play. And this was not the Fabi that we saw going up against Wingtide. The Fabi saw going up against Wingtide was in Wingtide's face, in the space, controlling the way that the game was played and just really forced Wingtide to be making guesses and making, making steps towards the matchup. But Wingtide Wing Tide was struggling. It, it's so strange, so strange. Yeah, so much of the power of Wingtide in his play is being able to be the one setting the mix-up game and then instilling fear. And Fabulous just came in knowing he couldn't allow himself to be in that position and put on the, the sort of the Pikachu Libre mask of aggression and said, I will make you guess as much as possible. I'm going to be the one running offense. You're going to be responding defensively to me. I know you're not comfortable in that position. So as much as possible, I will do that. And really, 
really, I think, Jay, going into this tournament, a lot of players would have said the Pikachu Libre Machamp matchup was in favor of Machamp. I just, I don't think we can claim that anymore. Fabulous showed how easy it was to exploit some of Machamp's weaknesses, like having a lot of high hitting attacks. Uh, Pikachu Libre, really strong lows, played around that really well, and just overall showcase how important it is to have a game plan going into a specific player matchup, even outside of the character matchup. Yeah, I think you can definitely see how much preparation that Fabi put into this. Like It would have been a matchup that he was expecting to play at some point and really delivered on everything that he wanted to do moving beyond that. I think we can condense Dukem and Deity Light. Deity Light in third place and Dukem in second place because these players have played a saga together and it has been phenomenal to watch. Oh my goodness, Jay. Yes, this has really been the story of the summer for, for the Pokemon Players Cup for me, just because Deity Light coming out of nowhere. And then this, in the Pokemon Players Cup, Deity Light Jukum have played three times. The first time was in the regional qualifiers. Deity Light set Jukum uh, to losers. He still ended up qualifying. Uh, and then Deity Light Jukum would meet again and Jukum went Empoleon, the character he lost with in the regionals, because he's stubborn, because he wanted to make it work, and also because he believes in the matchup. And Deity Light said, no, I know how to play Lucario against your Empoleon. Did it again. Beat Jukum again. Showed it wasn't a fluke. And then they would play a third time. And uh, when that happened, Jukum switched to the Sceptile, mixed up the game plan, and ended up coming out on top. But Deity Light, Jay, just what, what sticks out to you most about Deity Light's play that you saw, I guess? I think the, the sets that they played were phenomenal and they were close and close range. I think the counter games between yeah. both of these two players were incredible. The reliance on countering from Deity Light was so interesting. The range of the counters that Lucario has available also gave him some tricks in the matchups that were better, I guess, especially against Empoleon. The, the range on the pulse and the wave counters that Lucario has, very, very interesting. But I think the switch from Empoleon to Sceptile just with the aerial, aerial mobility that Sceptile brings and the ability to be able to avoid or mistime interactions between Lucario and Sceptile allowed yeah. Jukum to really find the space to make it work. We, we talked a little bit about uh, previously the importance of Sceptile's uh, vine hanging, and mm. I think that, that was a big part of it. Just he was, Jukum consistently was able to, after nine plus games with Deity Light, to understand his behavior, his, his choices, his inclinations a little bit better, and mm. use that vine hang to sort of say, okay, I think this is going to happen. I think Deity is, like, is going to make this choice, but I'm not going to fully commit. I'll just hang here, and then I can react. And, and Jukum did that so well with his Sceptile and was able to close it out in the end. But amazing play from Deity Light this summer and so excited that he's back. Deity Light last time inspired so much Lucario, so many, so much Lucario play. Really showed the world how good his Lucario was in Worlds 2016. And I would love Jay if he did that again here because his Lucario showing was so strong. And Lucario's really fallen off as a character a little bit in terms of reputation. Mm. So if he inspires anyone out there to pick up Lucario, uh, I, I hope they do. Amazing character and Deity Light shows you can use him at the highest, highest, highest of levels. Yeah, you heard it here, guys. Pick up Lucario, learn to train, learn to play. Great character and great, great performance from Deity Light and Jukum. And let's go back to that grand finals and talk about Shadow Cat and Jukum. And Shadow Cat proven so, so often that intelligence and optimization is the name of this game. Oh my goodness, Jay. I, it, it's really difficult to imagine what a perfect game of Pokémon looks like. But I think Shadow Cat is the one 
one person or maybe one in a small handful of people who's really shown us what that might be. Every single choice Shadowcat makes, every decision he has, every interaction he wins, he finds the little tiny things that he can do uh, to, to maximize them, to make them as efficient mm. as possible, whether it's little tiny micro walks in before a phase shift, knowing he can use just that last little bit of, of hit stun. And I think that's really the, the culmination of all those little advantages coming into play and, and allowing Shadowcat to leave this tournament, the Pokemon Players Cup champion for Pokemon Tournament DX. Able to expose people's weaknesses, use them against them. And obviously we have Darkrai with what I assume is just the ultimate weapon in Bad Dreams Rising once. Yeah. And he makes it look flawless. We've said that before. He makes Bad Dreams Rising work whenever he wants. That's just amazing and obviously as we've mentioned he's a player who has performed at the highest levels um this is obviously a major major win for Shadowcat, being the first ever players cup champion but he's also placed third at the world championships before highest placing north american at that world championships back in 2019 you know that this is just another step towards that goal now right yeah absolutely jay i think this was going to give shadowcat a, a ton of confidence he, he wasn't a player who could play in tournaments in the beginning of pokemon tournaments lifespan but everyone knew he was amazing so being able to actually compete and show that you are as amazing as everyone thinks you are has to feel incredible and then also on top of that to do it with Darkrai. you know coming into this summer shadowcat was a was mostly known as a breaks in player so just sort of reinvent yourself with with Darkrai. He's played Darkrai a long time, but to really make that your your main for this event at least and then to win it, that has to feel incredible and give Shadowcat even more confidence. And that's dangerous. Shadowcat <laughs> with even more confidence? Ooh, the world might not be ready. Ooh, yeah. I think a lot of the players in this tournament will have new reason to compete and new reason to train moving forward and it's going to be fantastic to see where Pokémon Tournament DX goes from here. But that's not all. We'll be covering Pokémon Tournament DX each week on the podcast as we make our way through the rest of the tournament brackets for the Players' Cup. So we'll have more time to talk about Shadowcat and his Darkrai, but also some other topics that you might be interested in learning about if you're looking to pick up Pokemon Tournament DX. Brendan, thank you so much. Jay, this has been lovely. Thank you so, so much. All right, now it's time for that very dangerous and tricky part of the podcast where I pose a question of the week to the ace trainers that we have assembled. And this one, I think is a lot, it's got a lot of legs to it. It's got a lot of grandeur, but also a fair amount of silliness. The question, if you choose to accept it, ace trainers, is which Pokemon inspires you the most? And I want Scott to go first. Hehe. <laughs> well, you know, I, I thought about a lot of things, you know, do I want a ferocious dragon type? Do I want, you know, a majestic water type? Uh, perhaps the strength of Machamp? But but no, what, what I think is most inspiring, the Pokemon that uh, really makes me feel, it, it's Snom. You know, uh, a lot of other Pokemon, <laughs> they've got a little bit more capability than maybe Snom does. Uh, but, you know, I, I throw objects at it, and Snom, even though it can barely move, you know, it just, it, it, it's, you know, slinks its way to whatever it wants with all the determination in the world. Uh, I, I just wish that, you know, when I was facing a challenge as difficult as like, you know, making it slowly across the room, I could face it with the same uh, determination and ferocity as Snom can. It's got such grace and poise. And also, I think one of my favorite things about Snom is that the amount of food that Pokemon can put away. I don't know if you've been camping with a Snom, but when you give it curry, it has like four times the portion that you do or something ridiculous. This Pokemon is all about the noms. It's going to grow, Jay. I mean, it's just, it's a babby Pokemon. It's got to get big and strong, turn into that uh, Frost Moth. Um, you know, it's got Volcarona to compete with. You know, it's uh, it really wants to be Top Moth and it's not going to do that by just sitting around. 
Too right, too right. Inspirational words about an inspirational Pokemon there, Scott. Thank you so much. Brendan, what are you bringing to the table? This was a tough one for me, Jay. I, did, I thought about it a lot, and I think the Pokemon that inspires me most is Crustle. Crustle carries a, a heavy burden with it wherever it goes, but that stone becomes a source of strength for it. I think if we could all <laughs> all take our own burdens and, and live with them like Crustle does, we'd be good to go. Also, I, I don't really know how Crustle balances that rock so effectively, so perfectly. Yeah, uh, seemingly endlessly. So uh, just inspiring through and through. I'm I'm actually speechless <laughs> on that. That was that was really heartfelt and beautiful about a Pokemon that I didn't expect to go down that route. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no. Crustle carries a lot, man. It carries a lot of weight. Not just not just on its back, but in our hearts. Exactly. Oh man, I, I honestly I honestly don't know where to go from that. That is almost perfect, Brendan. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, Mia. How are you doing and what Pokemon have you chosen? Well, I had a great Pokemon chosen, but I think I'm also going to choose Cressel. You know, <laughs> it was kind of my number two. Same reasons. Uh, oh. But if I had to choose something else, I'd probably say Dusknor. I've been watching a lot of VGC recently and it seems a lot of people like Dusclops a lot more. So it must be super hard to get a Dusknor. So, you know, gotta admire that courage. Yeah, I think uh, it's an inspirational Pokemon in many ways, just purely from the fact that it puts up with being outside the limelight so often. Um, maybe maybe it's not jealous. I kind of feel like it would be jealous though. I wanted to have a really st strong and solid answer to this question. However, like the, the cult of Crussell is very, very engaging. <laughs> so I, I, will, I will make sure that I stay away from it. I think my answer to the question of the week and the Pokemon that inspires me the most is slacking. And for such a, I think, very strong and personal reason, Slacking starts off its evolutionary life as Slackoff, a Pokemon that conserves its energy, only moves every two turns, doesn't really like to do too much. And then it evolves into Vigoroth and is all action, all the time, high energy, doing everything, trying out all these different things. It's tiring. And when it evolves into Slacking, it realizes, hey, maybe that middle section was a mistake. Maybe I just need to own who I am and who I am is someone who's gonna be lying on my side, slapping something every two turns. And I'm all about that life. Speechless, we're all speechless. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's probably because you've seen me in real life where I am actually lying on my side for the most times, just slapping at things, trying to get attention. <laughs> I think we should all, you know, be inspired to take things easy sometimes. I, I like that, Jay. I wanna embody both the Vigoroth and the slacking. Trainers at home, if you'd like to be involved with the question of the week, have your name and question read out on the podcast, or just want to let us know what you're thinking about the Players' Cup, please use the hashtag PlayPokemonPodcast on Twitter. We'll be going through week to week, checking through your thoughts and feelings, and selecting one lucky question to be read out on the show and given all the love and attention that it deserves. A few little notes just before we close out the show. We are obviously a podcast, which means you can find us in audio form on most of the major podcast distributors, as well as some of the smaller ones as well. Make sure that you go on to, sub to subscribe on things like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Leave us ratings and reviews. It will help other trainers find us and also spread the love of the competitive Pokemon that we just want to share with the world. But we are also a video cast, so if you'd like to trade in your headphones for our gorgeous faces, you can find us on the official Pokemon YouTube channel and on the official Pokemon Twitch channel. Make sure you're subscribed there and we'll be able to see all of our content as it goes live every week. Lastly, but by no means leastly, thank you so much to the Ace Trainers that have joined us today. It's been fantastic. You know that you're fantastic. And I can't wait to talk more Players' Cup with you as we go through the tournament. Trainers at home, as always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, 
when it comes to Pokemon, we've got the play.